So first, let's understand what evolution is not. Evolution is not a religion. It is not a frog producing a non-frog. It is not a change in kind, whatever that means. It is not a theory on the origins of the universe, life, chemicals, cosmos, etc. It is not a theory in crisis, and it is not coming from a rock. I'm sure Ken Hoven will be um, repeating these um, same old um, fairy tales, lies, and straw man that he always. I just got done watching a live debate between Kent Hogan and this guy called David Neff. David Neff is an atheist. A typical arrogant um, atheist who thinks he knows everything and uh, doesn't try to answer any questions, dodge everything that's thrown at him. You guys are, you creationists are liars. This is his answer to near every question that Kent Hogan threw at him. And also, you're going to notice all the way from the beginning to the ending of the video, every time Kent asked him a question or threw up something to argue, the guy would simply say, well, well, um, 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 let me ask a question and we'll see where you go from there. I do think David kind of lost his cool as, as the debate went on. And I think he did lose some arguments. I, I think definitely, uh, definitely getting a heated heated towards the end there ken hoven won the debate um i i was very annoyed listening to neff he he was denying his own theory when when brother hoven was trying to show him from the chart you start out with single cell then you get to this you get to this you get to this it contradicts what he was saying that well a dog will always bring a dog or a horse is always going to have a horse. yeah but at some point that had to have not been true but he doesn't want to admit that and it's it's very very annoying the evolutionists keep ducking and dodging the fact that if you start out with one single cell thing and then all of a sudden now we have all these billions of things, then somewhere along the lines, something had to produce something other than its kind. There's no, there's no way around it, but they don't want to admit that. And that's very, very annoying for me, and I can't stand when people are dishonest. Um, so, you know, be honest. You know, if you're an evolutionist, admit, well, yeah, at some point in time it had to have happened, but we can't observe that. Okay. Just be honest. It's not science. It was just horrible. Kent Hovind ruined him. Destroyed him. But the sad thing is, is that even if Kent Hovind wouldn't have even been in the discussion and it was just David Neff, the atheist, talking, this guy would have ended up destroying himself that he was so pathetic and terrible. He didn't know what he was talking about. And the only thing that he tried to do towards the end of it all was ask a bunch of random stupid questions. He even ends up turning off his camera and starts looking around in a book and everything and starts reading off a bunch of stuff that he doesn't even understand, trying to get Ken Hovind. It didn't work, though. I didn't hear the guy answer one single question. I didn't hear him give one single shred of evidence for any of his arguments or claims. So, Kent, once again, you have no understanding whatsoever of evolution. This is not what evolution says. This is not what um, anyone says at all. And you weren't a high school teacher for 15 years. You were preaching from accelerated Christian education and giving high schoolers workbooks. That's not teaching high school science. So you're simply Okay, Donnie, 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 moderate here. One topic at a time. None of this slap and run. Okay? It was pretty much an ad hominem... Uh insult fest from Neff. And then what was really funny, and it really showed how like uh, immature and lacking in self-confidence he is, and he was trying to project so much. It's like, and then at the very, after insulting out the wazoo, he then's like, 
And I would really, if Mr. Hoven would be willing, I would love to debate him again. On, so he's just gone from yeah, no, insulting right. the fire out of him and calling him all these names and issuing insult after insult. And it's like, and then being like respectfully, if Mr. Hoven, my senior, would be willing to debate me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, dude. He had Ken Hoven just completely annihilated him. I have to give kudos to Kent. I really love the charisma. I love the humor. But David Neff was absolutely terrible. It was almost excruciating to watch this destruction go down like it was. Terrible. Terrible. But as far as the entire audience, even non-believers were ashamed and embarrassed at what they were seeing from you, David. There wasn't one single reason whatsoever that you inspired anybody to even accept this nonsense that you claim is true. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what evolution means. Um, I didn't like the way ne- uh, Neff like, tried to say, well, you're not a real teacher, like that stuff, man. I was trying to go personal. Welcome to Standing for Truth. I am your host, Donnie. Thank you all for being here tonight for this epic debate. Tonight, we will be debating the important question and topic, is there reasonable evidence for evolution? I have two seasoned debaters here with me, Dr. Kent Hoven and David Neff. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you for giving us your time for tonight's important debate. Thank you, Standing for Truth. Thank you so much for hosting. And Mr. Kent, it's um, a pleasure to see you again. My privilege. And David? Yes. Awesome. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. I said, we're going to get you converted. Just hang in there. Good luck with that. <laughs> this is going to be a good debate. This is going to be a good debate. And as usual, uh, let's break the ice and kind of get to know the debaters a little bit before we get into the opening statements. Um, <clears throat> David, why don't we start with you? Been a little while since you've been on the channel for a debate. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what can people expect to find over at your uh, channel? Well, thank you once again. Uh, my channel is all about promoting science, promoting skepticism, and promoting reason. I do a lot of interviews, I do a lot of open mics and after shows. So if you like this type of stuff, um, feel free to come over and subscribe. I'm a student kind of um, taking a break right now, but I'm slowly, slowly um, studying uh, biological science. I am um, passionate about reason. I am passionate about viruses. Um, I really love virology and immunology and um, get vaccinated, everyone. All right. I appreciate that uh, introduction there, David. I appreciate you giving us your time for tonight. Uh, Before I hand it over to Kent, though, we've already got a great chat. So please, as we always do, we like to get you guys involved for an audience Q&A. Please make sure you're tagging me at Standing for Truth with your questions. That way I won't miss them. So over to you, uh, Dr. Dino. How you been? What's going on? And how's uh, everything at Dow? Well, thank you for having me. Yes, my name's Ken Hovind. I got the, born and raised in Illinois. And when I was 16, I gave my heart to the Lord, got saved, started going to an independent, temperamental, fundamental, right-wing, radical, chicken-eating Baptist church, and ended up getting ordained as a Baptist minister in 1974 and been involved in Christian ministry ever since. Got a variety of things, pastoring a church, teaching school. I taught high school science and math 15 years. And I moved to Pensacola in January of 89 and began the ministry, Creation Science Evangelism defending the Bible as being scientifically accurate. God made everything in six days, everything, dinosaurs and everything. So we started our ministry, Dinosaur Adventure Land, 
in Pensacola, and now we're here in Lenox, Alabama, straight north 70 miles from where we were. And we have 140 acres here and people visiting from all over the world, 200 and some people baptized, and we want to get the whole world converted to believe the Bible. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, Kent, I appreciate the introductions from the both of you, David and Kent. So for the audience sake, uh, we are going to be having a formal debate. We're going to have a roughly 12 minute opening statements, eight minute uninterrupted rebuttals. Then we're going to have a free flowing organic discussion uh, discussing the points brought up by the debaters in the opening statements and rebuttals. Then we will have five minute concluding statements. And then again, this is where we get you guys involved in audience Q and A. So again, make sure you're tagging me with your questions. Anytime that the debaters don't use for the opening statements and rebuttals, we will throw into the audience Q and A. Uh, so that being said, let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to hand it over to you, David. Uh, just make sure you unmute yourself. You are uh, muted, and I see your screen being shared now. So I will uh, get it up on screen for you. And whenever you're ready, go ahead. Well, thank you once again, um, Standing for Truth, and thank you, Kent Hovind. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to be back on your channel. I want to begin with a confession. My goal here is to not, excuse me, my goal is not to win a debate. I'm not here to win a debate. Um, and that's because I don't actually view this as a debate at all. It is uh, entertainment. And that is because this, this is not a debate that is taken seriously in the scientific community. Over 99% of biologists agree that the theory of evolution is sound. My goal tonight is to explain why that is the case. My goal is to explain why um, evolution is so well supported. So first, let's understand what evolution is not. Evolution is not a religion. It is not a frog producing a non-frog. It is not a change in kind, whatever that means. It is not a theory on the origins of the universe, life, chemicals, cosmos, etc. It is not a theory in crisis, and it is not coming from a rock. I'm sure Ken Hoven will be um, repeating these um, same old um, fairy tales, lies, and straw man that he always um, I guess I think a test will pretend that this is the type of stuff that Kent Hovind is going to say in his opening. So um, in science, throwing stones isn't good enough. You need a better explanation. Does Kent's model do a better job explaining extant biodiversity? Nope. Kent cannot even explain his model in a consistent way. Um, creation's definition is squishy, hard to draw the dividing line in practice. The word kind, for example, is very ill-defined. According to Genesis, it could be a species, genus, um, family, even an order in some cases. So there is no dividing line on what is kind even is. Um, Microevolution is evolution that creationists cannot deny, and macroevolution is evolution creationists must deny. Now, well, can't well, accept any of this evidence that I present tonight? Of course not. So what is evolution? Evolution. Uh, David, I'm just going to, I'm going to stop the timer there. Are you meaning to change the slides? Cause I just see it on the first slide still. Oh, um, thank you so much. Yes, I am um, trying to change the slides. I'm not sure why it's not changing. Um, I am so glad you brought that up. Um, no let's see here. What it's if it's I on do? the title slide still evolution debate. Okay. Let's try. Maybe, um, reshare. Yeah. Let's um, try and reshare this. Okay. Um, what if, what if instead of changing the slides, I do this? Does this change here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then changing. I'll just do this. 
So yeah, evolution is not a religion. It is not a frog producing a non-frog. It is not a change in kind. And it's not a theory on the origins of life, chemicals, biology, et cetera, excuse me, um, cosmos, et cetera. It is a theory on biodiversity. And um, evolution is a change in allele frequencies in the gene pool over its successive generations. As a result of these changes, number one, genetic change over, over many generations ultimately results in the emergence of new and different species from a single ancestral species. All living um, terrestrial organisms are genealogically related. All existing species originated gradually by biological reproductive processes on a geological timescale. There are four key points to evolution. Evolution has occurred. Species are not under, excuse me, species are not unchanging entities, but evolve over time. The primary cause of evolution is change as natural selection. Species change over time because of barriers of, of because bearers of different traits have different probabilities of contributing offspring to the next generation. Splitting of single species into two or more single species has occurred. That is called speciation. The necessary conclusion from this is that all species share a common ancestor. And um, the final key point from Darwin is evolution. evolutionary change is gradual. Evolution occurs by the gradual transformation of populations over long periods of time, rather than by a single species changing nearly instantaneously into something different. There are um, four major elements of natural selection. Competition, there are more individuals that are born that survive. Um, variation, individuals vary in traits directly related to their ability to survive and reproduce. Heritability, these advantageous traits are passed on to offspring. Iteration, this process is repeated generation after generation over long periods of time. So what is the evidence for evolution? Number one is direct observation. Number two is the fossil record. And finally, um, genetics. Um, direct observation, antibiotic resistance. This is um, a pretty scary table um, that shows when antibiotics were introduced and um, when the resistance was first observed. Um, how does this work? Well, um, you have a population of um, bacteria um, and you treat it with antibiotics. Some of them um, survive and the ones that survive um, reproduce and um, that is how we get, um, and eventually they get stronger and stronger. And um, evolution plays a back and forth um, game between um, what we're trying to do to control them. And um, that is what's going on. And number two is um, speciation. We observe speciation. Um, every single creationist that I know um, accepts speciation, even Kent Hoven does. And um, creationists have resorted to using speciation to explain um, how Noah could fit all the animals into his ark. Um, and so this is literally the definition of macroevolution. The only way that Kent Hoven is able to um, deny this is by um, straw manning or changing the definition of macroevolution. Um, I'm going to skip that slide. Um, SIV to HIV, another direct observation of evolution. Um, HIV um, emerged from SIV sometime around the 1900s. Um, and so um, the virus uh, had to mutate into a form that could overcome natural immunity to SIV in humans. Mammals have a gene that encodes a protein called tetherin. This protein has evolved to confer resistance to retroviruses by tethering them to the inside of the cells they infect and preventing the virus from replicating. 
for SIV-CPZ to successfully infect a human, it had to overcome the suppressive effects of human tetherin. The SIV-CPZ evolved by acquiring two anti-tetherin genes called NEF and VPU, one from each of the original monkey virus that fused to form the chimpanzee virus. The NEF gene mutated to overcome chimpanzee tetherin, but the VPU gene remained essentially inserts. When the virus jumped to humans, human tetherin was so different that the NEF gene could not overcome human tetherin. Instead, the VPU gene mutated to overcome human tetherin, which allowed HIV-1 group M to infect humans. Is this imagination? No, this is all directly observed. Number two is a fossil record. Um, remains, uh, fossils are remains or traces of previously existing organisms in sedimentary rock. They um, record past biodiversity. They record the morphology, the time and place, and the um, environment in which it lived. And it can help infer evolutionary relationships. Um, here is a great chart that shows the evolution of horses. Now, um, of course, Ken Hoven would say that this is the horse kind. So would he accept this as showing the evolution of the horse kind or not? Let's see. And we also have really good transitional um, fossils of whales and how they um, evolved from land mammals. And um, we also have very good records of um, how humans evolved from other apes. And finally, um, genetics. Um, genetics is probably the strongest piece of evidence for evolution. A few years ago, I got my um, genetic sequence from Ancestry.com and they were actually able to tell me not only where I came from from Europe, but where I actually settled from um, Europe, which is in Alabama, uh, which is really interesting because my biological mother was born in Alabama and I was born in Arkansas. Um, endogenous retroviruses, um, endogenous retroviruses, we can actually use this to actually show um, the evolution of, um, you can use this to show evolution of um, humans. Um, I wanted to read a quick, um, a very brief um, excerpt from the book, Evolving the Human Effect and Why It Matters by Dr. Daniel um, Fairbanks. Um, during the early days of genomic sequencing, when scientists sequenced small um, segments of the human genome, they found remnants of ancient, now extinct viruses scattered throughout it. These viruses are called human endogenous retroviruses, or HERVs for short. They are remnants of retroviruses that use RNA instead of DNA as their genetic material. The retro in the word retrovirus implies that something is reversed. Transcription is a routine and essential process for cells through which they make RNA copies of genes from the DNA of those genes, the first step in the DNA to RNA to protein transfer of information. However, when a retrovirus infects a cell, transcription is reversed. The virus's RNA is copied backwards into a molecular of, excuse me, into a molecule of DNA, and the DNA copy of the virus inserts itself into the cell's DNA. The DNA now copy, the DNA copy now embedded in the cell's genome, serves as the master pattern for encoding new RNA copies of the virus. That viral infection destroys many of the cells that contain DNA copies of the virus. The body's immune system also destroys many of the infected cells by selectively attacking them. Those cells that manage to persist with viruses inside them typically die soon after the organism dies. The virus survives only by escaping the cells that it has infected and going on to infect other cells, often in other individuals. 
However, millions of years ago in our distant ancestry, certain retroviruses managed to infect the germline cell, which um, cells in the reproductive organs that eventually develop into egg or sperm. If a DNA copy of a virus happens to be integrated into the DNA of the germline cell and an um, egg or sperm arises from that cell, that egg or sperm carries the virus embedded as part of its DNA. If that egg or sperm cell then participates in fertilization, the resulting individual inherits a DNA copy of that virus and every cell of its body and will pass the um, virus to its offspring, who then pass it on to their offspring and so on generation after generation. Um, and the key point here is that uh, we have thousands of um, ERVs in common with um, chimpanzees and other great apes in the exact same location, which we can actually use to create a phylogenetic tree to show how uh, we descended from them. So in conclusion, as expected, according to Kent, nothing we discussed is going to be evidence for evolution. That's okay. Kent accepts microevolution, and if all of this stuff is just microevolution, what can't macroevolution do? Um, you can debate the meaning of words, but you cannot debate what you see with your own two eyes. Thank you very much, and I look forward to the open discussion. All right. That was 12 minutes. I appreciate the opening statement there, uh, David Neff. We are now going to hand it over to Kent. Uh, Kent, you have uh, 12 minutes as well for an opening statement. And whenever you're ready, the floor is yours. All right. <clears throat> well, thank you for having me. It's good honor to be here. And uh, David, uh, it's obvious you've been thoroughly indoctrinated into believing you're in religion and evolution is a religion. In spite of what you say about it, you have to believe in it. <clears throat> Nobody's ever seen any animal produce a different kind of animal. We'll talk about that in a minute. When I go out and look at the stars, I can marvel and say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. I love the Lord. I've been his child now 53 years. It's been estimated there are 70 sextillion stars. That's a lot of stars. It might be three times many. It may go forever. We don't know. That's in the observable universe. It's been estimated every person on earth could own 11 trillion of them to themselves. You guys believe all of this fit in a dot smaller than a proton. There are multiple levels of stupid, but that's got to be at the top of the pile to believe such a dumb thing. You can't squeeze a gallon of milk into a dot smaller than a proton, let alone all the stars in the universe. If stars are indeed forming, like you guys claim, we should see 9.7 million new stars forming every minute for 13.7 billion years. Nobody's ever seen one form. And yes, David, I'm sorry. I know you evolutionists do not like this when I do that. But this word evolution is a slippery word, has six different meanings. And all you want to talk about is microevolution, as if that is somehow evidence for all the rest. And it's not. First, it'd have to be cosmic evolution, the origin of time, space, matter. Where did time come from, David? What happened before time began? What about space? Where did that come from for the Big Bang to explode into? <clears throat> and matter, where did matter come from? There's a lot of matter in the world. Then that, those elements that came off your dumb Big Bang had to, had to somehow form into all the different elements of our periodic table, chemical evolution. Then stellar and planetary. Nobody's ever seen a star form. Then somehow you got to get life to start. And that life has to go from single cell to multi-cell. I was told that was one of your main points tonight. I'll cover that in just a second. Scientists have not created life in the laboratory. And if they could... That would only prove it takes intelligence to make life. It would not prove it could happen by itself in chance. Let's see by chance. The simplest creatures on the planet, according to National Pornographic, 
they say 525 genes. Well, each gene is more complicated than an encyclopedia. And you want to say 525 of these? There's the simplest one. The simplest cell is more complicated than the space shuttle. Most complex machine ever built by man that I know of. That's a single cell. New theory of organic evolution. Somehow life has to get started from non-living material in your religion. Organic evolution. The Internet's full of this stuff. Nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organize themselves into the first living cell. Nobody knows. Nobody knew when he said this 20 years ago, and nobody knows now. So the word evolution is a slippery word. Cosmic evolution, chemical evolution, you don't want to talk about that. Stellar and planetary, nobody wants to talk about that. But those are essential steps to get to have something to evolve. That you got to have these. Then there's organic evolution. Life has to get started. Then macro, changing from one kind of animal into another. And if you don't know what a kind is, ask any four-year-old. They can look at animals and say, yeah, those are the same kind, and this one's not the same kind in most cases. Nobody's got a good solid definition of species either. Macroevolution, large changes. Let's skip up here. Let's see. All except evolution. <clears throat> Geologists, biologists, geneticists, all except evolution. You guys say this like it's some kind of fact. And you said in your opening, 99% of biologists agree that evolution has happened. Well, you better define what you mean by evolution. And that's the central part of this entire debate. Because you guys do the bait and switch constantly. Okay? I, I, I accept the fact that cows can jump. Okay? They can jump. I don't, they normally don't, but they can. I accept the fact you could probably train a cow to jump higher if you worked at him and you'd get him, go to the gym, work out, or something like that. Therefore, since I accept the fact that cows can jump, this proves beyond reasonable doubt that given enough time, a cow could jump over the moon. This is the logic you have, David. We see these little changes. Therefore, bang, everything's possible. Uh, Jay, David, a cow cannot jump over the moon. A cow cannot jump over a tree, not, not a, a church, okay? So this is how dumb the evolution theory is. You guys see, wow, cows can jump, yeah? Then you accept the fairy tale that they jumped over the moon. The, you, you, I know you won't get this. Maybe some of your audience will, Okay. There are four processes for evolution. Natural selection, genetic drift, mutations, gene flow. Mutations are the ultimate source of new alleles in a gene pool. I agree. All known mutations are harmful or fatal or neutral. Show me a good one. If you had a good mutation, you'd have to have one of the opposite sex for it to marry, and then that would have to take over the whole population. So if you had a cow with longer horns, and this is going to be beneficial, well, now you got to get the whole population of other ones that don't have the long horns to die off. This is, you guys dream, you imagine, you believe evolution happened. 250 recognized breeds of cattle, 80 produced in the U.S. typically. I accept the fact there are 250 breeds of cows. They probably had a common ancestor called a cow. Okay? Corn, six types of corn grown in the U.S. Might have had a common ancestor. 200 varieties of, of wheat might have had a common ancestor. Wheat, okay? 4,000 varieties of potatoes. They might have had a common ancestor called a potato. 300 and some species of dogs. They might have had a common ancestor called a dog. Dog, wolf, coyote probably had a common ancestor. This is what we all agree on. So 99% of all biologists would agree that all the dogs in the world had a common ancestor called a dog. But I'll tell you, David, a four-year-old can tell you the answer to this question. Which one is not like the others? Dog, wolf, coyote, banana. 
banana. It's obvious. The Bible says 20 times in the first seven chapters that they will bring forth after their kind. And if you don't like the word kind, I'm sorry. That's what it says, and it works. Darwin wrote a book called The Origin of Species, and nobody's ever clearly defined what a species is. If it has to do with interbreeding, there are quite a few that can no longer interbreed that are still obviously from the same ancestor. Microevolution, this is science. Variations happen within the kind. Evolutionary change within a species or small group of organisms, especially over a short period. Pesticide resistance, herbicide resistance, antibiotic resistance, examples of microevolution. I agree. It happens. It works. And that's where it stops. The cow can jump maybe two, three feet. That's where it stops. Not going to go over the moon. You guys dream it goes forever. They give examples of microevolution on the Internet. Sparrow populations in the north have larger bodies than sparrow populations in the south. Well, it's cold up north, and they need a bigger body to survive the winter. So probably those with a heavier body would gradually take over the population. It's still a sparrow. That's a variation of a bird. All Darwin saw on his islands was 14 varieties of bird. Same a finch. He did not see any evolution. He saw natural selection at work and then dreamed that it went beyond what was the obvious. They, they're still a bird. Cell, single cells evolve large multicellular forms. This, you got to be careful. David, I've heard you believe this. Single cells can get together to make a multicell creature. This is not true, okay? Your evolutionary tree of life, which is pure imagination, starts with a single cell at the bottom, the origin of life, and then gradually evolves into everything. In your religion, you believe pine trees are related to frogs. You really do. I don't know how to explain to you. That's not science, and you won't accept it. We see varieties of armadillos. We see varieties of possums, varieties of dogs. Outside that circle is science. There's a whole bunch of family trees. But it does not mean they come together in the middle. Inside, it's a religion. Let's see. <clears throat> how did a single cell evolve into a multi-celled organism? Downloaded today. Multicellular organisms arise in various ways. Cell division or by aggregation of many single cells. Oh, really? A bunch of cells can get together and become a multi-celled creature? Really? This is a giant problem for the evolutionary theory. How do you get from, first of all, how do you get a single cell to come alive, period? That's a major problem. But then the next one is, how do you get multicellular creature? Humans have about 100 trillion cells in their body, all working together to accomplish the job of keeping you alive. Very, very complicated. See, Darwin proposed the existence of an evolutionary starting point and a primordial organism from which all modern life de descended. This started the, the, the search for the last universal common ancestor, Luca. Most likely a single-celled organism between three and four billion years ago. You be sure to add time. That'll cure it. Okay. All species evolved from single-cell study finds. National Geographic, uh, 10 years ago. Really. All life on Earth evolved from a single-celled organism. Scientists have witnessed a single-celled algae evolve into a multicellular organism. Did they really? No, they did not. They observed some of them get together and lock together to protect themselves from a predator is all they observed. In this incredible experiment, the team was trying to find out exactly what drove single-celled organisms to become multicellular all those millions of years ago. One hypothesis is that predation, somebody was eating them, a predator. <clears throat> One minute. Oh. oh, I got plenty on this, David. Bring this up. We'll go back to that. 
Locking arms together for protection is not being dragged, and to not be dragged off does not mean they are now one organism. It's a bunch of guys hanging onto each other so they can't get washed away with the tide, but they're still individual people. Protesters lock arms after taking... What happened? The algae multicellular evolution study was debunked, and there's a great article about it by Jeffrey Tompkins on uh, uh, icr.org. <clears throat> okay. Uh, headline, scientists witnessed a single-celled algae. They said, no, they didn't. One of the major hurdles was how life first transitioned from unicellular to multicellular, and they give a long article here. The predators were going after these little single-celled creatures, so they locked together. They never functioned together as a single uh, organism. Okay, let's see. Scientists who reject God will latch onto virtually any natural phenomena and put some strange twist on it to support their paradigm. You can read the article for yourself on icr.org. So I think you're dreaming. There is no evidence at all ever in the history of the world that One any minute. animal has ever produced a different kind of animal. This is something you believe. You can believe it very strongly. But <clears throat> it's not science. I don't mind you guys believing anything you want to believe. You can believe the cow jumped over the moon. I do mind that you want everybody to teach your religion and pay to teach your religion in our public schools. Those of you who believe in evolution should go start a private school, charge tuition, make kids learn whatever you want them to learn. The Muslims have their school. The Catholics have their school. The evolutionists can have their school. But it should not be involved in public education. It's not science. It's a religion, David. Go ahead. All right. I appreciate that opening statement, <clears throat> Dr. Oven. Uh, we're going to hand it over to David. David, you have... Uh, an eight-minute rebuttal, and I'll start the timer on your first word. All right, so give me one second. Uh, all right, um, can you share my screen real quick? I'm going to um, jump between a couple different screens. So um, Kent Hoven brought up the five-year-old test. Um, I guess I can do a five-year-old test on myself. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you guess which thing is not like the other? By the time I finished this song, I'm sure a five-year-old would um, agree that the banana is different from the other three. Does that mean that um, a human, a chimpanzee, and a bonobo are the same kind? I'm sure um, Kent Hovind would disagree with that. Um, Kent, you've been preaching the same stuff since before I was born. You've been corrected on this stuff from my, pretty much every single person you've ever debated. Um, so I, I generally want to know what learning disability you have, Mr. Kent. Um, and evolution does not permit one kind of animal um, evolving into a fundamentally different kind of animal. Um, I'm going to stop sharing that, and then I'm going to share something else. Um, let's see here. Share screen. Chrome tab. Okay. Um, I want to share this, and I kind of wanted to um, kind of um, illustrate this the best I can. Unfortunately, my drawing is not very good, so um, bear with me now. So um, we, of course, both agree on speciation. So let's say we have a species here, species here, and this is going to um, speciate, radiate into two distinct species. And then this one over here is going to radiate into two more species, and then so forth over here, so forth over here, uh, and 
then over here we have the same thing going forth and forth so on and so on and then of course the result being this one this species over here is still related to the species over here by a common ancestor the point of the matter is that no point in this um, evolutionary history and no point in the speciation does one fundamentally different kind of animal um, become a different kind of animal. Um, that is simply not what happens. And um, if a dog produced a non-dog, or if um, a hamster gave birth to a whale, then evolution would be falsified. So I kind of feel that Kent and I are um, talking past each other because I don't think we're talking about the same thing. And that's something that um, I'm going to hopefully try and demonstrate in the open discussion. Um, and so, um, once again, um, evolution has nothing to do with the origins of life, nothing to do with the origins of the universe or chemicals or anything like that. Um, these are all distinct fields of science. Um, it might um, come as a surprise to Kent Hovind, but um, the Big Bang theory could be false and evolution can still be true. Um, because they are completely different theories that have nothing to do with one another at all. So um, with that, um, I hope to try and demonstrate um, why that's the case in the um, open discussion. So with that, I'll um, hand the mic over to um, Kent Hood. All right, I appreciate that rebuttal. Uh, with about four minutes to spare, so as we usually do, we're going to throw that into the audience Q&A as we usually get a ton of questions. And we already are getting a ton of questions as we've got over 200 people in the chat right now. So let's hand it over to uh, Dr. Kent Hoven. You've got eight minutes for your uninterrupted rebuttal. And whenever you're ready, uh, go ahead. All right. <clears throat> well, thank you, sir. Um, the Bible says God created the creatures to bring forth after their kind. You mentioned one of the evidences for evolution was the horse evolution. All that has ever been observed, and science deals with what we can observe, study, test, and demonstrate, not what you can imagine, SpongeBob style. All we've ever observed is horses produce horses. You may get a big horse or a little horse, might even have stripes on it, like a zebra. Probably the zebra, the burrow, had a common ancestor. I wouldn't argue with that. One of the world's world smallest horses here. They got small ones, they got big ones. They never get a horse as small as a, a, a mosquito, though. There's limits. The horse kind, there's the Zorse, the Zonkey, the Zioni, you can crossbreed all these. They're probably the same kind of animal. I agree. Horses probably had a common ancestor called something similar to a horse. That, what, that's never been, there's no evidence for horse evolution. I'm sorry somebody taught you that, and I'm real sorry you fell for it, but I'm here to help you. I'll get you unbrainwashed if you pay attention, David. Okay. You mentioned about whales <clears throat> being evidence for evolution. You throw that out into a typical student. Oh, wow, there's evidence, and they, they write it down. No, there isn't. Not from whales. Whales, for example, have small bones located in the muscles of their body walls that are vestigial bones of hips and hind limbs, this book says. Really? They show the pelvis and the femur on a whale. No, the whale does not have a pelvis or a femur, and it's not evidence for evolution. I debated Jeannie Scott from the National Center for Science Miseducation. <clears throat> they teach the whale is evidence for evolution at Berserkley University. They show the evidence right here. Look at this. The cow from bossy to blowhole. This is from one of their publications. So the cow turned into a whale. Is this how whales evolved? They show the pelvis and leg bone. All the biology books I'm aware of, high school and up, teach that the whale has a vestigial pelvis. They have tiny hind limb bones that have no function. 
this biology book says. Really, Holt Biology, a major publisher. Hmm. Just imagine whales walking around. It's true. No, it's not true. They put a big displays up in museums, like um, at Los Angeles Museum of Natural History. They say, look at this, boys and girls. See those bones right there? That's the whale's pelvis. This is a bold-faced lie, and anybody with one eyeball and half a brain cell knows it. Those bones are part of the whale's reproductive system. They're anchor points for certain muscles that allow the whales to reproduce. Whales have huge reproductive apparatus, and they have to maneuver them in the dark underwater, and they can't talk and say, screw it over, honey. They got to have extra muscles and bones. It's very simple, or you can't get baby whales. This has nothing to do, uh, David. You said this is evidence for evolution. The whale, be specific, please. Why do you think the whale is evidence for evolution? The whale is evidence of incredible design. Those bones have nothing to do with walking on land. And if they were remnants of leg bones, that would be losing something, not gaining something. Where's the evidence of any animal gaining something? To go from a single-celled creature to a multi-celled human, <clears throat> National Geographic says whales and dolphins had legs. They're either stupid or they're deliberately lying. Tell them I said so, okay? And if you think that's a vestigial pelvis on a whale, you are either stupid or deliberately lying. Where is the evidence of a whale showing evidence for evolution? The whale's pelvis, located far from the vertebra, has no apparent function. That's one of the bones right there. No apparent function. That guy should not be writing a biology book, that's for sure. He should ask his mama. That's what we got one of the bones here in our museum. They have a nerve supply, a blood supply. They're part of the whale's, uh, the whale's penis can be up to 15 feet long. They got to maneuver the thing in the dark underwater without talking. So this is a bold-faced lie to say that the whale is evidence for evolution. They have very different anatomy, male and female anatomy, and they have to have these special bones and, and muscles. So I'm sorry if you believe that's evolution. You mention it and, and threw it out, and somebody's going to say, oh, wow, he had evidence. No, he didn't. There's no evidence from whales. There's no evidence from uh, humans coming from apes. You can believe that if you want. And the picture you gave with me and a monkey, and a, I think the other was orangutan, I forget, and a, whatever the third, third, which one's different? They're all different. All four of them are different. What do you mean, which one is different? They're all four different. The picture I gave showed three that are, could easily have a common ancestor. None of what you showed had a common ancestor. So when you get into studying anatomy of creatures, you ought to just marvel and say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. It's, everything is designed. And it looks like you're reading some kind of script, which I, I'm sure you were. Uh, <clears throat> instead of coming up with original arguments, you're just reading what everybody else told you to say. Uh, paraphrasing, let's see, that is not a vestigial pelvis. I'm sorry. The horse did not evolve. There's no evidence from genetics. The genetic code of every creature is mind-boggling in its complexity. To say that there's similarities in these codes, so? I bet Microsoft Word and Microsoft PowerPoint have thousands of identical lines of code. Identical lines of code. What does that prove? They both evolved from Morse code? Or that same guys are writing the code? The people at Microsoft are writing the code for PowerPoint and for other programs. And of course, there are similar lines of code. The same God that designed people designed all the other creatures. And you, we have two bones in our wrist, which makes it both flex, flexible in many different directions. Very handy. Lots of animals have that feature. It's a great design feature. A lot of the cars on the road have doors that open out. Whoa, great idea. Instead of open in, that'd be hard to get in your car. So does that prove common ancestor? 
No, it's a, it's a design that works. So I'm sorry, you're mistaken. The whale does not have a vestigial pelvis. There is no evidence from the whale or from the horse for evolution at all. Stop lying to people and telling them there is. And if your biology teachers are telling you that at the college you're going to, tell them I'll come debate all of them, same time, half my brain tied by my back. I'll pay my way to get there. I'll debate them all same time. I get half the time, no interrupting and no cursing if they can follow those simple rules. So I'm sorry, you're mistaken, David. There is no evidence from the whales for evolution, no evidence from the horse, no evidence from genetics. There's no evidence of any ape ever turning up anything other than a baby ape. Chimpanzees make baby chimpanzees. Humans make baby humans. There are simply no exceptions. They tell the kids in school, the snake has claws that are proof for evolution. Those claws are part of the snake's reproductive system. Same problem. They don't have any arms and legs and can't talk. They're part of the mating system of the snake connected to little bones that go up inside. So I, I know you guys are desperate for evidence for your theory. I mean, really desperate. I'm sorry. Get a new theory. Your theory is wrong. It's stupid. It's a, it's a religion and it's dumb. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, well, that concludes the opening statements and the rebuttals. Uh, thank you, David. And thank you, Kent. We are now moving into the open discussion. And as always, uh, guys, let's keep this cordial, respectful, equally timed while focusing on one topic at a time. And there were a ton of great topics and points brought up in the opening statements. So we have lots to discuss. David, why don't we uh, hand it over to you for the first question or the first point you wanted to make since Kent just ended with his rebuttal. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Kent. I do appreciate you um, debating me tonight. Um, I kind of feel like we're talking past each other and I feel like we're talking about two different things. So I just wanted to make sure we're talking about the same exact thing. Can you give me your best steel man definition and understanding of evolution? And what you're saying, my best, what now? Your best steel man understanding of evolution. So basically I want you to try and steel man my position. Oh, seal you into your position. I said oh, no, steel. It, it, I said steel actually, man. If I could, it, it, it looks like David's asking you, uh, Kent, to steel man his position as in, uh, you know, what's your definition or understanding of biological evolution? I guess I'm not familiar with the term steel man. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, so basically it's the opposite why, of the straw man. This, this is why I always say, oh, instead of straw man. Okay. Well, I don't straw man. Try not to. I try to give very clear. I make it very clear. You, there are six different meanings to the word. Uh, slide number 100. And I do this frequently throughout my seminar. Cosmic evolution is a vital step that would have to take place before you can have anything else. You have to have time, space, and matter. You're claiming these animals produce different kinds of animals. Well, the animals are made out of matter. Where did the matter come from? You, have to, you, you guys love to skip these first five because you don't have an answer for them, but they are essential steps. If we said the man was walking across the desert and he got in a car and drove the rest of the way, stop, 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 where did the car come from? You can't just say he got in a car, found it in the middle of the desert. You just say, well, life was already here and now it evolved. No, no, no. How did life get started? Where did matter come from? Uh, how did life learn to reproduce? So I don't think you have a solid position. I think you have nothing but a straw man. I think what you have is lots of examples of variations within the kind, which I, everybody would agree with. Every farmer in the world would agree. You can get varieties of tomatoes and apples and bananas and frogs, and, but it stays with that same kind. So you believe that the evidence that we see for these little variations is somehow evidence 
for the rest of your theory. And there's where you're wrong. All right, sure. So um, if I could, um, there's, I think, where your misunderstanding is. As I mentioned, evolution is a theory on biodiversity. It is not a theory on anything else. Those have um, different theories that are all independent of one another. Um, saying that the theory of evolution is false because it can't explain the origins of the universe is like saying that the germ theory is false because it can't explain the origins of um, germs or um, the, ad the atomic theory is false because it can't um, can't explain the origins of the atoms. Um, th this is kind of the problem that you're um, making, and I want to make sure that we correct this uh, misunderstanding tonight. Evolution is a theory on biodiversity, nothing more, nothing less, and I want you to admit that. Biodiversity, bio meaning life, diversity, diverse, I agree. Each life form on Earth, the whales can produce a variety of whales, the cows can produce a variety of cows. Biodiversity works just fine. Ask any farmer in the planet. They can, with you biodiversity, develop apples that will grow in colder climates like North Dakota or warmer climates like South Florida, but they're still apples. So biodiversity is limited to what anybody with a brain would say is the same kind. It's still an apple. Darwin saw 14 varieties of finches, okay? They're still a finch. So I agree, biodiversity works within the limit of the same kind. Every farmer on the planet does this for a living. They try to raise chickens that are better for a certain environment. So some plants grow better in sandy soil. Some grow better in acid soil or moist climate. Have you been farming all your life? The biodiversity works, but that's where it stops. And you guys imagine that it goes beyond that. David, I don't know how to get you to see it. So yes, there, the best evidence is there has never been anybody in the, no farmer ever in the history of the world has ever seen any animal produce what anybody would consider to be a different kind. Show me something in the last 20 years, David, that you could point to and say, we saw this animal or plant produce offspring that are considered a completely new kind. What's the best evidence you know of for that? Or does it all take place millions of years ago? Well, Ken, um, I think the problem is, um, once again, I feel like we're talking past each other here because it, it's interesting that you think that a change in kind would be proof of evolution. Well, I think that a change in something that is fundamentally different kind, so to speak, would actually be evidence against evolution. If a cow gave birth to a whale, then evolution would be falsified. So what I want to do is kind of flip the question on you. Um, what would you accept as a change in kind? What is, it, what is something that you wouldn't want to see in order for it to count as a change in kind? Okay, gave birth to a whale, that would uh, falsify evolution. Did a cow and a whale have a common ancestor millions of years ago, David? Yes, they did. Did that ancestor give birth to both the cow and the whale eventually over millions of generations? Yes. So um, I kind of know where you're going with this, but I want to um, kind of see, um, I kind of wanted to turn this logic around on you. Um, so you would agree that a lion and a Johnny, tiger... I cannot understand him. Enunciate, articulate, or write it down. I'm not understanding what you're saying. Um, so, um, excuse me, see if I can do it. Does a lion and a tiger, does a lion and a tiger share a common ancestor? Do they share a common ancestor? A lion and a tiger? I don't know. That would be a good field of research for biologists to get into. Lions and tigers can interbreed. They're typically, uh, the offspring is typically infertile. Uh, the tigon or the liger, they call it, depending which is the male. And so they, they're both in the cat family. So whether they are uh, had a common ancestor, 
Don't know. Possibly. I don't, okay. I would, I'd be willing to bet, I'd, I'd bet money, though, that the lion and the butterfly did not have a common ancestor. Uh, okay, so can you, name, can you name two species that you think do share a common ancestor? Well, I think the Great Danes and the Chihuahuas have a common ancestor. Okay, what about the um, Great Danes and the wolves? Do you think they share a common ancestor? I think they might have had a common ancestor, Great Dane wolf. But see, this is all uh, some a dog, wolf, coyote, probably common ancestor. But that doesn't mean dog, wolf, and banana or butterfly have a common ancestor. Would you do you believe a butterfly and a dog have a common ancestor, David? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, you wanted the truth, right? So, What's um, the evidence that? A, what is your best evidence that a dog and a butterfly have a common ancestor? All right. Um, well, what evidence would you want to accept? Um, let me ask you a question real quick, and you'll see where. Let me ask you just a couple questions, and you'll see where this is going, and then I'll get back to that. Um, can you actually um, explain the three types of natural selection? What are the three types natural. of natural selection? Can you can you explain the three types of natural selection, how they work, and um, give examples of the three types of natural selection? And you'll see where this is all going. <coughs> I understood part of that. Natural selection means nature, natural things happen in nature that select which ones get to live long enough to produce their next generation of babies. Natural selection can happen because of uh, genetic factors. Something happens in the complex gene code and the baby's born with a deformity or part of the gene code got screwed up. It's probably not going to live long enough to make babies of its own. So there might be an, a deformity in the genetic code which is an incredibly complex code. And in the copy process, something goes wrong and therefore it doesn't survive. There might be a predator that feeds on the, the slowest of the rabbits is probably not going to survive. So eventually, after a period of time, all the rabbits can run pretty fast or they don't make it. Uh, and so that but it didn't. Natural selection does not create anything. It selects. Listen to the wording. Natural selection. It can select which ones survive. It cannot create anything new. It doesn't create rabbits with wings that can fly. And rabbits, the fastest ones probably survive in the wild. Okay, there's still a rabbit. So there is no evidence from natural selection that it is a creative process to make anything new. It's dreaming. Okay, um, kind of didn't answer the question. Can you name the three actual types of natural selection. There are three major names, three types of natural selection. Um, oh, I cannot. I cannot. Name them for me, please, and I'll tell you what I think of them. Okay. Um, this is pretty much done by stuff. Okay. There's stabilizing selection, directional selection, and disruptive selection. Are you, have you ever heard of those three terms before? I, I have. What do you mean by, not, by stabilizing selection? Um, well, what do you think it means? Well, I think nature will select uh, it'll stabilize the population, like the sparrow example I showed. The ones up in North Dakota have to have a heavier body or they don't survive the cold winters up there. It stabilized the population, and it's still a bird. Okay, so basically stabilizing selection is when um, natural selection um, works against the two extremes of the traits and selects for the middle part of the traits. For example, um, human baby size would be actually a great example of this. Because if the baby was too big, then there would be compilations with birth and increase the risk of infant mortality and maternal mortality. 
However, if the um, infant was too small, then um, it would be premature and would also have a greater risk of dying. So the metal trace is um, selected for something that is kind of in the middle between the two extremes. And you'll see where this is going. So just um, play along with me for a minute. Um, do you know what directional selection is? Well, let's finish one point at a time. The stabilizing selection, you're saying the middle-sized baby is probably going to survive. Is that going to change the baby into an airplane or a frog or a, a mosquito? Or is it still uh, going to be a baby? Of course not, because if that happened, then evolution would be false. So stop evolution scrolling is, and David, start. You're not evolution is Evolution is false. Okay? It didn't happen. Stabilizing selection, any kind of selection, is only going to select something that's available. You're not explaining how the babies got there to begin with. And certainly, that's not going to create anything new. It's still a baby. It might be that a certain size, two big ones, the mother dies, can't give birth to it, so the mother dies, okay? That's true. Probably we're never going to have humans born that are 40 pounds at birth. I'd be willing to bet there's a limit. Every mother of in course, the world. That's why, there's a limit. Well, of course, because it would be selected against um, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. And um, just if you follow me along, um, you'll see where this is all going. Um, you know what directional selection is? Uh, it's obvious you're reading a script here. We should go slowly and clearly and enunciate and articulate. Directional selection? Is that Was that the question? Yes. What is directional selection? Well, a farmer could use directional selection where they select the chickens that produce more eggs or the chickens that have more meat. That They could direct the, they could direct the selection process, but it's still a chicken. Um, no, that's not what directional selection is. Okay. Um, tell me what directional selection is, David. Directional selection is basically um, when one extreme trait is selected um, against the middle and the other extreme. Um, so, for example, um, the longer um, giraffe nets, um, the longer the neck, they would be um, more capable of eating the leaves. So the extreme um, one is going to be selected for. And that is what directional selection is. And, and I promise you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, do you know what disruptive selection is? Well, let's finish one at a time here. Directional selection. Are you saying that something directed the giraffe to have longer necks? Um, yeah, so basically directional selection is when you have a selective pressure within a population and it works to um, favor one extreme over the middle and the other extreme. So um, that's basically when you have... Um, when you have to reach high to um, reach the leaves, then your neck is going to have to be longer. So the um, giraffes with a longer neck are going to be best able to survive. That's what directional selection is. Um, okay, now, wait a minute, David. How does this help the baby giraffes? Um, because the ones with the baby giraffes, um, I mean, come on. Um, obviously, the ones with the baby giraffes, um, the longer their necks, they're going to be able to... Um, be better now um next oh, wait 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 is, if only is, the long neck giraffe can reach the tree leaves the baby's got to be 17 feet tall when he's born then or he you know he can drink milk for a while but after that he, he's in trouble now <clears throat> david i don't know if you know this or not but giraffes giraffes not only have a long neck they have long legs okay they have yes, a long neck correct. so they can reach the david they have a long neck so they can reach the ground not the tree they can't get a drink without that long neck. 
Okay, um, and you'll see where this is going, I promise. Um, have you ever heard of um, disruptive selection? No, what, dis dyslectic, what? I said disruptive. Oh, disruptive, disruptive. okay. Disruptive. disruptive. Have you ever heard that term, disruptive selection? Disruptive, just now. No, I haven't heard that before. It's a new one, go ahead. Disruptive. You never heard of disruptive selection. You never heard that before. Well, I'll David, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here because there are uh, quite a few people in the chat saying, you know, that this is a debate and not a pop quiz. So uh, because I, we I, have, I you know, just five to ten minutes left on the um, discussion, David, let's let, let's yeah. really try and discuss the I mean, points you brought up. Mind, you know, uh, if you want to um, just kind of more so get to the point so we can discuss yeah, okay, it. Um, and, then I do promise, and then I promise um, I, if we can extend the uh, maybe we can extend the discussion because I do want to ask them a couple of questions here. And um, I promise you'll see where this is going. So disruptive selection is basically um, selection where it's working in favor of the two extremes and against the intermediate stream. Um, so for example, um, if you had an area with black and white gray bunnies, um, you might have something disruptive, um, but um, I'll, I'll just move past that. Um, have you ever heard the term Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium? I didn't understand a word of that. Yeah, have David, I didn't even understand that one. Have you ever have you ever heard of the Hardy Weinberg equilibrium? Hardy Weinberg equilibrium, I've heard of that. But tell me how this ties in with evolution. All we oh, see yeah. is okay. variations happen. I agree, but it doesn't create anything new. The disruptive selection, the directive selection, the stabilizing selection—it's not creating anything, David. It's selecting. How on earth is that going to change a banana into a whale? Or why do you think a banana and a whale have a common ancestor? You think those processes you mentioned are going to cause that? Um, of course not, because if a banana gave birth to a whale, then evolution will be falsified. Do you not understand that? Can you mm -hmm. at least understand that if a, if a banana gave birth to a whale, then evolution is false? Come on, man. David, You've been preaching this stuff since before I was born. Um, David, I showed you a chart. I'll show you again. You guys believe a banana and a whale have a common ancestor, don't you, David? Yes or no? Does a whale yes. and a banana have a common ancestor if we go back millions, billions, trillions of years? Yes. Okay. That's dumb. Okay. I mean, it's not as dumb as, say, um, humans coming from dirt that was proved into existence by God. I mean, <clears throat> oh, no, hold it. I think a God can take the dirt and make a human. I think man can take the metal out of the ground and make a car. That's pretty cool. I don't think the dirt can make a man by itself. I don't think the iron ore can make a car by itself. You guys want to leave the God out of the equation badly, and I think I know why. But for a God to take dirt and make a man, that's, that's reasonable. I don't understand how, but it's much more reasonable than saying the dirt made the man by itself, which is what you believe. And you believe the dirt came from a dot of nothing exploding. Hello? Is anybody um, home up there? Yes. God um, can, can create out of nothing. God can take dirt and make man. God can make a snake talk if he wants to. God can make an idiot talk. Go to your local university. It happens all day long. All right. But no, again, David, you, thank you for answering my question. For the record, you officially believe a whale and a banana have a common ancestor. Don't you? Yes. Now, um, okay. once Go again, I, I just want to try and correct your misunderstanding of evolution. Once again, 
Evolution has nothing to do with the Big Bang. They're completely unrelated. The Big Bang theory can be false and the theory of evolution can be true. Come on, man. You should know that by now. Um, and okay. once again... Hold it. No, wait, wait. One, one topic at a time. All right, evolution. Ev you say evolution can be true and the Big Bang can be false. What is evolving? You don't have a complete theory. If I said the guy's walking across the desert and he found a car and drove home, you're missing a big part of the story. How'd the car get there? How did the dirt get there to evolve? How did life get started? I give the six different stages of evolution. You guys hate it, I know, because it pokes you right smack in the eye and shows the stupidity of your religion. What evolved? How did the banana and the whale's common ancestor, whatever that looked like, how, where did it come from? All right, so lots of stuff here. Once again, evolution has nothing to do with the origins of life. This is completely unrelated. Um, there are many great Christian scientists who believe that God exists and that he created life and that evolution is the process by which he um, created biodiversity. Um, evolution is not a religion. Evolution has nothing to do with the origins of the cosmos, nothing to do with chemical evolution, nothing to do with any of that. And I really wish um, you would stop preaching that because you've been corrected on this by literally every single person you've ever debated. Um, literally, um, you have to know by now that those two things are unrelated to each other. Um, now, uh, David, David, that before you go to one, hey, one topic at a time, I have a giant collection of public school science textbooks. I taught 15 years science, biology, earth science, and physical science. I'll debate you on those if you'd like. You're a biology major. There is no evidence at all of any animal ever producing a different kind of animal. But whatever that ancestor between the banana and the whale was, and here's the chart, they show it right on the chart. You trace them down, banana and dinosaur and whale have a common ancestor. Somewhere along the line, somebody produced a baby that was not the same as itself. And yet it never happens today. We All never right. see cows produce non-cows, but you believe something whatever that looked like, produced a banana and a whale. Somebody had a baby that wasn't like itself, David. How can you not see it? So, Kent, once again, you have no understanding whatsoever of evolution. This is not what evolution says. This is not what um, anyone says at all. And you weren't a high school teacher for 15 years. You were preaching from accelerated Christian education and giving high schoolers workbooks. That's not teaching high school science. So you're simply okay, Donnie, for Donnie, your Donnie, moderate here. One topic at a time. None of this slap and run. Okay. I taught high school science in Christian schools for 15 years. For one or two years, I taught out of the accelerated Christian education. Other times we used all kinds of different biology textbooks. I have a giant collection of them. There is no evidence from biology that any animal has ever produced a different kind of animal. This chart right here from, I don't have the name of the book, I think it's Holt Biology, shows that something came alive, origin of life at the bottom in the middle, and it somehow produced an octopus, a squid, a sponge, a shark. We go up the chart, and it produced a human and a bear. Do you believe all living things on Earth today came from a common ancestor, David? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Where is the evidence of any animal producing something other than what every four-year-old would consider the same kind, because I think you would agree a banana and a whale are not the same kind of life form, but you said they have a common ancestor. What that did that right. ancestor look like, and how did it change to both of those different kinds? Well, once again, um, <clears throat> Kent, um, I will gladly explain. It's kind of like how, um, if I can um, pull up my um, the images here. Um, 
second, because I think this would be good for um, you to understand. Um, and you'll see where this is going. Give me one second. Are you trying to put slides up, David? Because, you know, with I'm only trying... a couple minutes here, I'd, I'd prefer you just to kind of make an okay. argument real quick. Sure. Can... Um, so basically it works somewhere in the way that the evolution of language works. Um, and that's a little bit over time, um, just as um, if, if I could share this real quick. Um, Are you comparing... So, so yeah, I'm basically comparing um, the evolution of language with the evolution of life on Earth. And you can kind of see this with this charts right here and how the West Germanic languages eventually became English um, and so forth and Old Dutch, all coming from common ancestors. Um, slowly but shortly, um, through micro steps, we get um, Old English um, to today. And it's the same way with biological evolution. Um, micro changes over um, long periods of time lead to big changes. And this is um, something that I don't, I don't, I generally do not know why you cannot grasp that, Mr. Hoven. Okay, let me jump in um, here real quick. Um, yeah, one topic at a time. Let me address yeah. that. Okay, go ahead. David, okay. David, the evolution of languages involved a lot of intelligent input. People speak those languages. This is not natural selection. This is not artificial selection. This is intelligent people deciding to use the same word. And a lot of our English words come from German. Some come from Spanish. I understand. There's a mixture. But all of the, just the language itself was designed and is pretty complicated. It's a code. Different sounds make different impressions in somebody's brain. When I say cow, I just made several syllables, you know, C or several word letters, C-O-W, cow. That puts a picture in your mind. We all know what it means if you speak English. So all we've ever seen is intelligent input to make these variations. To compare that to a biological evolution is ludicrous. But that's, but that's literally exactly what happens. Micro changes over long periods of time eventually get large changes. I mean, we both seem to agree that um, the various cat kind shares a common ancestor with each other. Um, so you can see over time how um, this happens. Um, I, no, I no. generally, David, I, oh, oh, one, one point at a time. We do I, see I mean, micro I, changes. Yes. We see micro changes. There's a lot of cats, but you want me to believe the cat and the and the banana have a common ancestor. Where is the evidence for that? These charts show. Let me see. Is the cat on there? Yep. Cat and banana have a common ancestor. What did this ancestor look like, and where is the evidence of it happening today? It can only happen in your religion long ago and far away. Where's the sci science? Is what we can see, David. Where's any animal producing a different kind of animal? Um, so we have observed speciation quite often. We see this all the time. And this is basically what you would accept as one kind changing into another kind. Speciation is literally that when one. Um, species becomes a new species. Kent, you agree that speciation happens, and you'll see where this is going. Can you tell me what allopatric speciation is? Well, here we go with the quiz again. Speciation and, and, certainly happens, okay? I and, agree. We now have varieties of dogs, varieties of cats. I'm still sticking you to the question, though. Where is the evidence of anything happening that anybody would consider a different kind? Um, there's all kinds of different... There's, there's, no, there's no solid definition of species either, by the way. 
what we see SIV um, becoming HIV, that's a completely new type of virus. That's literally um, a new kind coming into a new kind, right? SIV becoming the, HIV. Hold on, is it, is it still a virus? Um, and what uh, evolution wouldn't allow it to be anything other than a virus. I mean, if it Bingo, you got human. it. Hey, now. you got it. It won't allow it to become anything but a virus. Yes, the that's called the law of monophyly. That's called the law of monophyly. And I just, and you know this by now, you've been corrected on this by literally every person who ever debated you. This is literally I've been, the law I've been of corrected, David. I wasn't wrong. I wasn't corrected. Cows produce cows, dogs produce yes. dogs. I agree. Yes. You believe and dogs and cows have a common ancestor, don't you, David? Yeah, dogs producing a non-dog would violate evolution. Dogs producing non-dogs would literally violate the law of monophyly. You know this, right. Kent. You're lying. I, David, look at my chart here. We have, at the bottom of this chart, used in the public school textbooks, a single-celled creature. Let's call it an amoeba, Okay. Did that amoeba somehow turn into a uh, mushroom on this chart? No, it did. Where's the evidence of an amoeba producing anything besides an amoeba? Your chart shows the amoeba turned into a pine tree, a shark, a mushroom. Uh, let's see, all kinds of stuff. So did this amoeba turn into a dinosaur? According to the chart, there's dinosaurs on there. Where's the evidence of an amoeba ever producing anything other than an amoeba? I mean, can you do it in the laboratory? Get the amoeba to turn into anything besides amoeba in a laboratory. You can use all the selection you want. Directional selection, disruptive selection, stabilizing selection. Use all the ones you want. Turn the amoeba right. into anything into, into anything non-amoeba. Can you do that? Can um, any scientist do that? Can, if that were to actually happen, then evolution is false. I'm trying to explain this. Come on, man. Bingo. You, you know it. this by now. Evolution Come on, is, man. It, does, it doesn't Come on, happen, man. That's, that's evolution what evolution false. predicts. Come on, man. Literally, well, David, um, well, actually, David, to, to answer um, Kent's question, he's asking for an example of like single cell to multi-celled evol evolution. Um, you know, do you have a, a response to that before we wrap it up here on the discussion? I just want to make sure, you know, we're dealing with the arguments here and not. And not to, to, to make clarify my question. Has anybody ever seen it happen now or do you have to imagine it happened long ago? Yes, where's, the have, where's the evidence of a single-celled creature becoming multicellular today? Where's the evidence? There's a lot of single-celled creatures are out there. Um, Go ahead, so, David. Um, so um, regarding speciation, we've, we've seen speciation all the time. We've observed new species form. That's literally well, think, what you're asking for. It's well, David, I, th I think he's specifically exactly asking you for a, an example of, of a single cell to a, to a multi-celled organism. Right. Start there. Right. So we've actually, we have done numerous experiments on that. And one of my personal favorite experiments is from 2012. Um, Radcliffe et al. Um, used a um, used a unicellular yeast and um, subjected it to um, pressure that would involve multicellularity. And um, it's actually interesting what they actually found. Um, Reading just quickly from the abstract, multicellularity was one of the most significant innovations in the history of life, but the initial evidence um, remains poorly understood, and that is true. Um, using experimental evolution, we showed that the key steps in this transition could have occurred rather quickly. We subject the um, subject um, unicellular yeast to an environment in which we... And David, if, if I could just jump in there, just because you're slightly hard to hear, I'm you're kind of mumbling I'm there. And I'm understanding about 10% of this. You have, you're mumbling, David. 
speak clearly, stop reading, think and talk, where is the evidence of a single-celled creature becoming multicellular, not locking arms together for defense against a predator that's not a multicellular creature yet? Um, so we Where's have seen this. We have seen this in the lab. This is literally what we've seen with yeast, um, and this is literally what has been observed before. So um, obviously, we um, still there's a lot of stuff to learn. Um, about the origins from the jump from multicellularity to unicellularity. There's a lot that needs to be learned, but uh, we can recreate some of this in the lab and see, okay, what um, steps might have been involved to um, create this. Um, and David, if I could, is, is this the example that uh, Kent was uh, showing slides and images of in his opening statement? Is, is that the example that, that you're putting forth? No, I'm using it. No, he was using the, um, I think, I'm using a different example. This is from yeast. Um, experimental evolution of multicellular complexity and um, yeast. Um, this is from Radcliffe. They made um, a couple different papers, one in 2012 and um, another in 2014. Um, and you can actually uh, look at the images and you can see um, the developments of um, multicellularity. Um, obviously, there's a lot we need. There's a lot um, that we need to learn about evolution. There's a lot that um, right. we need to, that we don't understand. David, one topic at a time. You say there's a lot we have to learn, okay? Yes, that's true. I agree. I agree. And that's what science is all about. I love it. Study, test, demonstrate. Let's, let's learn. You are determined, though, to avoid the obvious that maybe things were designed to bring forth after their kind. You're determined to make them have a common ancestor. The fact that single-celled creatures have always and only produced single-celled creature babies, that's obvious. We can see that. So to say we have a lot to learn, I agree. Until you learn it, until you can prove it, don't teach it in, as science in the public schools. Keep it home. That's your religion. You believe it. Keep studying. I hope you find an answer one day. But until you do, it's not science, and it shouldn't be taught in public schools at taxpayer expense. Keep it home. Okay, let me proof, just... Bring me the proof, then I'll help you pay for it to teach it. Okay, okay well, let me one, jump in, gentlemen. Can I respond to that real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proof, okay, go ahead, proof, and then we'll wind it down. What proof do you want? Um, show, show me... A, Give me an example. Anything that you would actually want. Give me something that you would expect to see. Anything. Well, let's take that step from single cell to multi-cell. Okay? There are okay. no two-cell creatures that I'm aware of, or three-celled or four-celled. You go from single cell to like 550 or whatever the minimum number is for a multicellular creature. Where are the, where's the evidence of this happening? Uh, nobody's um, ever seen a single-celled creature become two-celled or three-celled. But in your religion, um, a single-celled creature became a dinosaur. So um, there is, um, I'm putting the link in the private chat of the papers that I'm citing regarding the multicellular yeast. Um, and um, it is um, a couple of papers from 2015 and 2014 where we actually have done these experiments and show exactly, um, now obviously, once again, um, still some things that we don't understand, but the principles of common ancestry is um, pretty well understood. Um, so um, speciation, of course, um, is an absolute fact. Um, 
I mean, um, if I can um, share my screen real quick. Um, well, David, it, because you know the discussion has ended probably about five minutes ago. If you want to just really quickly make one final argument, since, since today you are in the affirmative of, of evolution, we'll allow uh, Dr. Hoven to address it. Um, go ahead. Um, okay, so once again, um, I would really at least like to understand like um, what would you accept today as one kind turning into another kind? What would you actually accept? I, I would accept observable scientific evidence. Observable Talk to any scientific. farmer on the planet that's ever raised plants or animals, either one. Where is the evidence of anyone? Any, show me what's, what's the best evidence you know of of let's take a chicken producing a non-chicken. What's the best evidence you know of? I think you can show me big chickens and little chickens and those that give a lot of eggs and those that give a lot of beef, a lot of meat. But where's the evidence of a non-chicken? I'd like to see that. Well, or once again, the daddy that produced, well, where's well, the, the non-chicken daddy? Once again, Mr. Hovind, um, you're completely um, missing the point that I've been trying to make earlier, which is the law of monophyly. If a chicken gave birth to a non-chicken, then evolution would be falsified. I don't understand. Like the thing that you would want to see that would confirm evolution is the stuff that I would want to see that would disconfirm evolution, and this is why I feel like we're talking past each other. Okay. Does the let's see slide number one hundred eight. Does the law of monophyly apply to amoeba? Because yes. this one shows amoeba turning into sharks. This um, chart shows amoeba turning into, let's see, uh, humans. What happened to the law of monophyly, David? Um, so once again, this is that's a pretty bad chart there. Um, what we see is clades within clades within clades. We do not see um, a, a um, whale producing a dolphin, which would violate that um, principle. Wait, wait, wait. Um, if I can... We see an amoeba producing a whale right here over many generations. That is um, obviously a very bad representation of very bad graph. Um, so I do not let whoever made that um, did a pretty bad job of it. Um, this is straight from the textbook. How about this one? Let's see. Uh, this one shows horses and birds having a common ancestor. Do you believe horses and birds have a common ancestor, David? Yes. Okay, what happened to the law of monophyly? Um, the law of monophyly um, went, still went through. I mean, um, let me see if I can actually uh, explain. Well, hold it. Uh, Something that was non-horse and non-bird produced a baby somewhere along the line that was evolving toward one or the other. I, my point is, this is never observed. It is a religious belief. I believe you have one of the dumbest religions in the world, but you're welcome to believe it. I just resent paying for it in the public schools. Anybody else resent paying for it in the public schools? Stop. Go start a private school and teach evolution. We don't care. But it's not science. You think a dog, I mean, a, a, a horse and a bird have a common ancestor. You can believe that if you want, but it's not science. There's no evidence monophyly is true. Whatever that ancestor was could only produce whatever it was. It couldn't turn into a horse. But you think over millions of generations, it can change from an amoeba to a horse. 
That violates the law of monophyly. That violates all common sense. It violates all biology we've ever seen. It's a belief system. You've been, you've been told this many times, David. Why don't you get it? Okay, David, let's do this because I do want to make sure that it uh, looks like David just dropped out. I'm not sure if it was his <laughs> connection or, or what. Uh, this has definitely been uh, a memorable uh, debate. Uh, okay, here. Okay, David, so actually what I was going to say uh, before you dropped out, let's, um, let's do this because it's, it, it's been a great uh, discussion. We do have some audience questions. There might be something you want to respond to there, David. Let's do it in, in your closing statement, though. So you get, uh, you get you know, the first round here for concluding statements. Uh, you get up to five minutes. So anything you want to address, any points you feel like you might not have uh, you know, been able to make, we'll do it right now. Then we'll hand it to Kent to do the same thing. So is this Q&A time, Donnie? Yeah, we're just going to do some some real quick concluding statements from the both of you. Uh, okay. And, and David, we'll, we'll start with David. So uh, go All ahead. Right. If you can share my screen while I uh, go through it. Well, thank you once again, Mr. Kent. Thank you, Standing, for being a gracious host. Well, once again, we've heard um, pretty much um, Kent Hovind's, um repeated stuff that he's been preaching since before I was born. Evolution, once again, is not a religion. It has nothing to do with the origins of the universe, nothing like that. It has nothing to do with... Um, anything but biological evolution, which is biodiversity. Evolution is the um, best explanation for biodiversity. As far as the law of monophyly, uh, there's a great um, website called the Phylogenetic Explorer Project, Phylogeny Explorer Project, and you can kind of trace back and see exactly the um, steps um, and say how life evolved over time. I'm just going to focus on the clade hominidae, which is the clade that we belong to. Um, this clade um, eventually branched off into two distinct um, lineages, um, the gorilla and then homo and pon. Then we have the homo and pon over here, um, splitting again into uh, more groups and diversifying. And um, we can see exactly what happens over here. Um, and um, these are inc small incremental changes over time that leads to a branching diverse pattern. And this is what we see. Um, once again, um, there's no such thing as one kind of animal changing into something that is a fundamentally different kind of animal and um throughout these micro steps and micro evolutions and these small changes over time they branch off into different lineages and these different lineages uh, branch off and become diverse and distinct within their own group and this is how eventually we see two distinct organisms that look nothing alike even though they, they share a common ancestor um, you can follow, you can go through the Phylogeny Explorer project and uh, trace the evolution of pretty much any species you want. And it'll just tell you what we see is the clade within the clade within the clade. And that is something that I don't think Mr. Kent Hoven seems to understand or if he want it, or if he even um, wills it to understand. Um, I find it very interesting that um, while I was talking to Kent Hoven about various types of natural selection, um, he was not able to really um explain something that is taught in first semester undergrad bio um with the three types of natural selection i mean come on kent you've been preaching this stuff since before i was born i mean you have to know by now that evolution um does not say uh, one kind coming into another kind um you still haven't the um examples you want are just so outlandishly ridiculous you know that um evolution would not permit so we'll giving birth to a pine tree. But you say these things to make evolution look ridiculous. This is a straw man, this is a lie, 
and um, I think you know this by now, and you should and you should stop lying to your gullible audience. I mean, I'm sorry, there's no nice way of putting it. Um, you're simply um, deliberately um, misinforming your audience. You're willfully saying that you're willfully saying things that um, simply um, do not happen, and um, it's literally you're you're. Um, simply preaching your same old stuff. You're reading from. You're, you excuse me of reading from the script. Um, can't you've been reading from the same script since um, before I was born? So um, with that, I will close off the mic, and I would um, like to invite everyone to my after show. Um, I have an after show on my channel. Everyone is welcome to join. All right, just on time. That was your five-minute concluding statement. Uh, we're going to hand it over to uh, Kent. Kent, you also have five minutes for a concluding statement. Uh, go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, David, the reason I haven't changed things, uh, saying things since before you were born, is because it's true. Truth doesn't change. Two plus two was four long before I was born also. And God said long before any of us were born, the animals and plants would bring forth after their kind. 20 times in the first seven chapters of the book of Genesis. That's what it says. Charlie Darwin came along and said, oh, the origin of species. Made up this word, not didn't make up the word species, but God said they'll bring forth after their kind. I will stick by my stuff. There are six different meanings to the word evolution. You guys try to hide that, but it's absolutely simple and true. Only number six is really science. The first five are religious. You believe in them. You may believe in them very strongly, and I think you do, and I think I know why. But microevolution is a lousy term. We shouldn't call it that. We should call it variation within the kind. I give the examples of microevolution by natural selection, like the sparrows. Okay, I agree. There's a variety of sparrows. Uh, let's see. But you said in your closing just now, evolution does not say that one kind of animal turns into another kind. David, you are either confused or deliberately lying. This chart shows an amoeba turning into a dinosaur and a human. Yes, you do believe somewhere along the line, the law of monophyly was broken about 45 trillion times to change an amoeba to a dinosaur. You do believe things change into something else. You believe a dinosaur and a frog have a common ancestor with a mosquito. This is what you believe, and I don't mind that you believe that. That's fine. But my point is, it's always been the same. That's not science. There are probably 20 different varieties of kangaroos. They might have had a common ancestor. But these guys, somebody drew lines on paper here showing the horse and the bird and the rabbit all going back to a single common ancestor. You drew lines on paper just a minute ago, David, to show this is not evolution, showing that... Uh, uh, homo uh, turned into the different types of apes and humans. You just drew lines on paper. That's not science. Monkeys are having babies today. Let's see a non-monkey come out of this union. Humans are having babies today. Where's the example anywhere of a non-human being born to humans? Where's the example of an amoeba producing a non-amoeba? I stand by my ground. The Bible is absolutely correct about the creation. God made all the plants and all the animals to bring forth after their kind. Just like he said, and the Bible is absolutely true. God destroyed this world with a flood. And the Bible is true. There's going to be a final judgment one day. 
Second Peter chapter three says the scoffers, and I'll put you in that category, David. The scoffers are willingly ignorant of the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment of God. David, you're going to stand before God one day, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, and he's going to judge you by his book, not by your rules, by his rules. He's the creator. He made it. He owns it. He can make any rules he wants. If you have a piece of property where you live that you own your house, you can make any rule you want on that property. You can say, don't come in here on my property with alcohol or drugs or something. Okay, it's your house. You can make those rules. California can make rules. Don't come into our state unless you do this. God can make rules. You can't come into my heaven unless you have all your sins forgiven. But the only way to do that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. I did that 53 years ago. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'd like you to forgive me and save me. My sins are gone. Praise God. I'm going to heaven, and it's not because I'm good. It's because of what Jesus did for me. God said they'll bring forth after their kind. That's all that's ever happened. God said he's going to judge the world again. It's coming, David. I'd like to see you come to heaven. I really would. But you got to get your sins forgiven. You're in trouble. The way you're going, you're in real serious trouble. And so, anyway, call me, 855-BIG-DINO, extension 3. I take calls all day long and half the night. I'll be glad to talk with you. If you want to say, Brother Hoven, don't call me brother yet. You say, Kent Hoven, I don't want this public. Okay, I'll keep it private. I have atheists call me all the time, and I keep it private until they say, you can go public now, tell them. Okay, but David, you're willingly ignorant. Second Peter 3, read that passage and write your name in the margin. You're ignorant of the creation, you're ignorant of the flood, and you're ignorant of the coming judgment of God. It's going to hit you like a freight train. Okay, that's it. Thank you. All right, just on time. And that concludes the five-minute concluding statements. Guys, fantastic debate. Time has flown by. The audience has had a great time. We've got almost 300 people in the chat still with a uh, ton of questions uh, and, and support, lots of support. So, uh, gentlemen, Dr. Dino and David, thanks for keeping it fun. Let's get through a few of these questions uh, before we uh, call it a night. As we always do on this channel, whoever the question is for gets the last word, and that way we can move along smoothly. There are two after shows. Uh, so one on David's channel. Uh, David, you can link it if, if you'd like to. And then another one on uh, Logical, Plausible, Probable's channel. So the after shows will kick off as soon as this debate is over. Okay, let's go all the way back to the beginning here with the uh, first question that came in. This one came in from Redefine Living. And gentlemen, what I'll do is put them in the chat and uh, show them on screen to help you guys. So this one is on screen, David. Looks like it is for you uh, from Redefine Living. He says, question for David. Can you show that endogenous retroviruses, ERVs, originated outside of a host? Well, viruses for, well, viruses for by definition would uh, originate outside of the host. And then um, insert itself and viruses have to um, insert itself into um, a cell in order to reproduce. So um, by definition, a virus would have to um, originate outside the host. And I'm standing, can you um, put a link to my after show in the chat? Absolutely, yeah. Oh yeah, I see it here. Yeah, so I'll put a uh, link to your after show and then uh, John in the chat, you can link your after show as well, to be fair. So I appreciate the response there, David. And uh, Kent, anything you wanted to add to that? Well, an endogenous retrovirus or any kind of uh, complex organism, nobody can show how it originated inside or outside of a host. No, can't be done. 
Okay, and, and David, quick final word before we get on to the next question. Um, let's move on to the next question. Okay, so next question comes in from, and I'll put it up on screen, from Jobbing. Question for, uh, he says Andrew, but I believe that's you uh, there, David. So he says, uh, how does the virus SIV changing to HIV prove macroevolution? Aren't both of those still a kind of virus? Um, yeah, both of them are still kind of virus, but um, it's a brand new type of virus. Um, that is literally the definition of macroevolution. And I just don't understand why creationists do not understand this. Um, if a virus became a human, then evolution would be falsified. I just, for the life of me, I don't understand why creationists don't understand monophyly. Okay, thank you for the answer there, David. Uh, we'll we'll uh, hand it over to you, Kent, if you had anything you wanted to add. Well, he's honest. He doesn't understand. That's for sure. He doesn't understand how it can. We, we it didn't happen. Okay. Uh, what this this question is correct. Changing from a virus to a virus is still a virus. Uh, that that's not going to become anything. That's not evidence for evolution. In their mind, it is though. Wow, look at this brand new kind of virus. It's still a virus, guys. It might be resistant to certain uh, uh, things that we do to try to kill it, but it's still a virus. I bet if you went around and swatted all the bugs and the bugs with the harder shell survived, pretty soon you'd have a population of hard shell bugs because they, they can survive. Get a bigger hammer, none of them will survive. All right, I Go appreciate ahead. that that response, uh, Dr. Oven. Uh, David, question was for you. Get the final word. Um, let's move on. Okay, I appreciate it. Next question here comes from Jackson Rowe. So uh, Kent and Jackson just finished a debate trilogy as a matter of fact. So Roe is asking you, uh, Kent, how do you explain all of the whale transitional fossils? Well, Jackson, there are no transitional fossils. There are fossils. You may choose to put them in some kind of order. I could put the rocks in my driveway in some kind of order. That doesn't prove anything. When you find a fossil, <clears throat> all you know is it died. You cannot prove it had any children at all. You certainly could not prove it had different children. No animal today is capable of producing offspring other than its same kind. And yet you wish to believe that that bone in the dirt can do something that no animal today can do. So my stand is there is no such thing as a fossil record. There is no such thing as a geologic column. You guys wish to believe and teach that all the layers of the earth are different ages without stopping and thinking how stupid that is. If the top layer is younger, where is it coming from? Outer space? If you move a layer in different order, they're still the same age. Shuffling a deck of cards does not change the age of the cards. There is no such thing as a fossil record. There is no such thing as a geologic column. There are layers to the earth. I live in a gravel pit. We got a bunch of them right here. I taught earth science 15 years. I'll debate any of you on that. There is no such thing as a geologic column. All the layers are the same age, whether it's 6,000 or 6 trillion, they're all the same age. So there are no whale transitions. And why does it happen, Jackson, long ago and far away where we can't see it? Whales are still having babies today. Let's see a transition today. Same thing for you, David. It only takes place in the imagination long ago and far away. Evolution is a fairy tale for grown-ups. Go ahead. All right. Thank you for that response there, Kent. Thank you for the question, Jackson. Uh, David, we'll hand it over to you if you had anything you wanted to add, any points you wanted to make. Stop lying.
All right, and uh, we'll hand it back to Kent for, for a final word on that one. David, are you saying I'm lying about the geologic column and the uh, uh, transitional fossils? Show me why in any honest court of law, any fossil would count. Where did I lie, David? Just to call me a liar and slap and run, you're, you're, you should be thankful I'm saved. Okay, go ahead. Um, move on to the next question. You've been literally corrected on this by so many people time and time again. Um, keep on moving. Keep the questions okay. moving. Well, it was Kent's question, so Kent have the final word there. No, no, I'm saying there are no whale transitions. There is no fossil record. There is no geologic column. Jackson, I'll debate you again on that if you like. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it. All right, next question comes in from God TV Radio Live Podcast Radio by Brett Keen. Question for David. Got it up on screen. He says, ask David where pain receptors came from and why, please. Also, why do we have males and females? Why did this happen? Uh, so where pain receptors come from, um, I don't know right off the top of my head. I'll have to um, do some research on that. Though um, pain receptors are very important in um, organisms and um, not having the ability to feel pain would be very detrimental to um, the organism uh, because pain um, tells us that something's wrong with our body. If you don't know that there's something wrong, then... Um, That'll, that'll be bad. So um, as far as male and females, um, that'll be a subject for a video coming up. All right, over to you, uh, Dr. Hoven. Anything you wanted to add? Well, it's a very excellent question. If you have a complex organism that is not capable of feeling the pain, it's probably going to die. So which came first, the complexity of the organism or the ability to feel the pain and respond to it? You got more than just you know, something's poking me. Oh, wow, I feel pain. Something's poking me. You have a reflex. There's an extremely complex, very amazingly designed system of feeling pain and responding to it and, and healing system. That's another whole level in there. So just to evolve an animal is one step that they can't explain. But then this animal is capable of, of feeling pain and responding to it and healing if it gets injured. Way beyond complex. I don't know how they can't get it. David, you've had to explain to you how many times you don't get it. I know, but go ahead. All right, David, over to you. Question was for you. Get the last word. So uh, this is the irreducible, the irreducible complexity arguments. Um, unfortunately, irreducible complexity um, has been falsified. We have observed irreducible complex traits evolve, such as what I've presented with HIV. Um, Complexity can evolve, um, even stuff that would be um, qualified as irreducible complex. Um, so, uh, next question. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't get to respond to part of that one. Uh, Donnie. Sure. Am if I you on? guys wanted okay. to continue that yeah. one a bit. Well, it, no. As far as the male and female, I think it was designed that way. I think it was, did a great job. Wonderful job. I enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the uh, responses, guys. And um, let me see here, looking through the questions here. And next one that I'll put up on screen for you gentlemen here comes in from George Bond. George, I appreciate the question. Uh, this one is for uh, Neff, David Neff. How did Luca, last universal common ancestry, ancestor, I should say, give rise to three different domains of life if the law of monophyly is not contradicted? Um, so um, Luca would probably have been um, 
something that would be before the three domains of life. That is something that I um, have not studied, though um, I am working on a video series on evolutionary biology, so that will be a subject of one of my videos. So um, subscribe to my channel, hit the bell notification down below. I have a whole series of evolutionary biology um, and the works, and you definitely do not want to miss that. All right, thanks for the answer. Over to you, uh, Kent. I think it's a great question. I don't think it can be explained. Like he said, the law of monophyly is everything brings forth after its kind. That's another way of saying what God already said 20 times. And it is contradicted by their theory. The theory of evolution completely contradicts the law of monophyly by having everything related to a common ancestor. Not common sense, not observable, certainly not science. All right, I appreciate it. And uh, David, question was for you. So if you want to have a quick final word on that one, go ahead. No, next question. All right, so this is a super chat that comes in from Vittoria DeSanti, $20 super chat. I appreciate it. Uh, so she asks, where would the new genetic information come from to switch, a banana, uh, to switch from a banana to a whale? Um, I've already explained why that's not possible. And I've already explained why that would actually falsify evolution I don't understand why you guys don't understand that. Um, so um, stop lying and stop strawmanning our position. All right. Thank you, uh, David. Uh, Dr. Oven, over to you. Well, I don't see how David doesn't get it. Put the question back up, if you would. Yeah. Um, there is, he, he's, he is correct in saying nobody teaches the banana turn to the whale. But he does believe, and he already said, he thinks they have a common ancestor. So let's make up an imaginary common ancestor and call it a, a bale, okay? Half banana, half whale. The bale somehow violated the law of monophyly and got a whole lot of new genetic information to turn from a bale to a banana or a bale to a whale. He does believe they do teach, and I showed the charts, they teach all life forms have a common ancestor. So somewhere along the line, let's see, 205, let me get there, 205. Somewhere along the line, New information had to be added. They never answered the question. Where's the new information coming from? Where Something changed the bale to a whale. What, what? There's a lot of new information to go from an amoeba. To, this one has the amoeba going to a whale. Okay. I think it's stupid. But again, they're welcome to believe that. But it's not science. It's a religious belief you have, David. You should admit it. Stop pretending. Stop lying and thinking it is science. It's not. Go ahead. Um, All right, so there, I can't, yeah, go ahead, David. So if there was a bail in the science in the um, fossil record, if there was actually a bail, then evolution would be false. We would not expect there to be a bail. Um, I think you know that. Come on, man. You know this by now. Um, you know why that would um, falsify evolution. So um, you just need to stop lying to your gullible audience. Sorry, there's just no nicer way of putting it. Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Okay, so uh, here's the next question comes in from Evolution Fairy Tale. And I'm going to get it up on screen here in one second. Okay, here we go. So Evolution Fairy Tale, question for David. Um, so he says, investigation, I guess, of ancient languages show they were more complex in earlier times and became simpler over time. Holds for ancient Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Chinese how to fit this in evolutionary theory. 
Um, I don't understand the question. I don't understand how those um, two connect with each other. Um, simplicity would be a sign of intelligence. So um, I, I just don't understand how that relates to evolution. So um, I, I really don't understand the question. All right, I appreciate that. Uh, Kent, anything you wanted to add to that? Well, yes, I think the question is legitimate. Ancient languages were much more complex, much more variety of words to say things. In the days of Shakespeare, just three or 400 years ago, the average person on the street had a working vocabulary of 20,000 words. They knew the meaning of 20,000 words. Try to read some of Shakespeare stuff, okay? Uh, you'll see the vocabulary was incredible. That was just 400 years ago. Today, the average person on the street has a working vocabulary of four or 5,000 words. We have been dumbed down. I think we saw an example of it tonight. Um, so the languages have been uh, decreasing, not increasing. There is no example of anything getting more complex without intelligent input going into it. None. All the cars that are made, if you don't keep fixing them, they're going to break down. All the computers are going to fall apart and break down. Your house is going to fall if you don't keep fixing it. So this is an example of what God said would happen. Everything would tend toward decay, which is what's happening. It's all going to fall apart. So, yes, great, good question. Ancient languages were more complex. Today, the average kid on the street only has a couple words they know, like, duh, and I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Next question. All right, I you want to go right to the next one? No problem. So this one comes in from Logan Missyak. This is a $5 super chat, so I got to make sure I ask it. Question is for you, David. Uh, so he asks, where did life come from? If you don't believe the Big Bang, what is your religion on the origin of life? Uh, go ahead. So um, I actually do accept the Big Bang theory as um, the theory of the um, development of the universe. Um, once again, that's completely irrelevant to evolutionary biology. Um, as far as the origins of life gave biogenesis, that is far too complex for a 30-second um, answer. So you'll have to wait for my video series on evolutionary biology. All right. Thank you for the question and answer there, David. Uh, over to you, uh, Ken. This goes back to what I've been saying for 20 years. There are six different meanings and levels to the evolution theory. They want to start with number six because they are embarrassed by the first five. They're not science. They do have to have life come from non-living material somewhere along the line. And they do have to have that life learn how to reproduce itself, another complex step, imaginary step that they take. And they do have to have animals producing something other than their kind. Macroevolution is a religious belief. It's never observed. So, yes, great question. Uh, life had to be created by a really smart creator. I know him personally. He's my dad. Love him. Go ahead. Thanks for the response. Okay, so next question comes in from, let me see here, chat's moving crazy fast here. It's a lively chat tonight. And uh, okay, I've got it up on screen in three, two, one. Aaron Moss, $10 super chat. SFT, he says, question for David. How did animals evolve the ability to fly? That's too complex of a question for a um, 30 second answer. So um, that's going to be part of my um, evolutionary biology series. So hit the subscribe button and the bell notification on my um, channel so you can um, follow along with that series. All right, over to you, uh, Ken. They did not evolve the ability to fly. They were created. We have reptiles, birds that can fly. We have insects that can fly. We have mammals that can fly. Very complex flight is really complex, ask a pilot. 
It's complex. It, they did not evolve. It was created. It was designed to do what it does. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, Kent, David, you want me to go to the next question here? Um, yeah, next question. Okay. So this one comes in from Sean Ma. Question for the both of you. Sean says, standing for truth, another question for both gentlemen. Are there any fields of science other than biology that corroborate evolutionary theory? Uh, David, go ahead. We can start with you. So um, once again, um, you could always say uh, paleontology would corroborate the theory of evolution. Um, though I think some might um, put that under biology. I'm not sure. But paleontology certainly corroborates evolution. Um, physics um, corroborates the fact that the Earth is old, and I would be very happy to debate Mr. Kent Hovind on limiting factors on the age of the Earth. So I hope he would accept my debate proposal on those limiting factors, because I think that would be really fun. Um, and um, we see, we see um, other fields of science um, also contradicting um, young Earth creationism. So, um, yeah. All right, over to you, uh, Kent. Well, I think the question is uh, is invalid. It's like asking, why are elephants orange? They're not orange. He's asking, does any other field of science other than biology corroborate evolution? Even biology doesn't. So the question is invalid, but I understand what he's saying here. Biology does not give any evidence for evolution. All we've ever observed is frogs produce frogs and cows produce cows, etc. That's real, honest biology, what we can observe. Now, if you wish to imagine long ago and far away, that's not science anymore. Or if you wish to find a fossil and say, well, this changed to something else, why could that fossil do it and the ones today can't do it? That's not science. So there are no other fields of science, physical science, earth science, nothing gives any support to this stupid evolution theory that we all came from an amoeba, which came from a dot of nothing exploding. Now there's nothing, no, no, no branch of science anywhere. There's not a shred of scientific evidence to support the evolution theory. It's a religious belief, a dumb one. All right, I appreciate the responses. Uh, Jerry Foreman here says, this is my favorite debate. So it's definitely been a lively, uh, memorable, fun one. So we're going to have to wind it down here with, with the last couple questions here as I want to respect the time of the debaters. We've been going at it for almost two hours. So uh, this one comes in from Kevin's Biblical Discussions. Uh, question for both. So we'll get you both involved here. He says, what are your thoughts on the Ashley phosphate beds? Human and dinosaur fossils are found together. Doesn't this prove man and dinosaur coexisted? Go ahead. I'm not I am not familiar with this. Um, I'm not familiar with the Ashley phosphate beds, so that is something that I'm going to have to research. I don't. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. All right. I appreciate okay. it. Uh, over to you, uh, Ken. Sure. I think it is legitimate. However, um, <coughs> finding fossils of different kinds together does not prove anything. Uh, if all of the layers of we see of the Earth were formed in one big flood in the days of Noah. The shuffling and sorting would put all kinds of things. Birds might end up on top because birds are lighter and have hollow feathers, hollow bones, and they fly to avoid the flood till the last minute. And clams are found at the bottom because clams are already at the bottom when the flood starts. I cover this very thoroughly on my video number six. Uh, nobody's ever found human and chicken fossils in the same rock strata. Does that prove humans and chickens did not live at the same time? That's the logic they're using. 
So I would stick by my guns and say there's no such thing as a geologic column. There's no such thing as a fossil record. I think I've been to the Ashley uh, phosphate beds, and I think that there are lots of fossils in there, tr trillions of them, and they probably have found human and dinosaurs together in the phosphate beds. It wouldn't surprise me. All animals lived at the same time. Dinosaurs lived with man. They called them different names in different cultures, typically dragons or something like that. But man killed off most of them. The Bible says before the flood came, people lived to be 900. There's a lot of historical evidence about the golden age where man used to live to be 1,000. Why so many legends about the golden age? It was true. They did live to be old. And reptiles that never stopped growing would grow to be dinosaurs. They were just normal creatures with Adam and Eve, not millions of years ago. Go ahead. All right. I appreciate the response. And I think we'll wind it down with this last question. We do have about a thousand questions, so we got to end it somewhere or else we can go for the next 10 hours. So here we go. Alpha beta question for David. Uh, I appreciate you, David, being a good sport tonight. Most questions were for you. So the question is the transition from non-life to the simplest possible life is an example of macro evolution is, is what they're saying here and irreducible complexity. Where is the evidence? And, and if you disagree with that question, of course, uh, feel free to uh, point out why. Once again, um, long answer for the, um, too long of an answer for a 30 second response. So wait for my series on evolution. All right, I well, I appreciate it. Go ahead, Dr. Sure. There is no evidence at all of any animal producing a different kind of animal or of life coming from non-living material. It had to be designed, had to be a really smart creator. There's no evidence a car can make itself out of an iron ore mine. There is evidence that man can take the iron ore and turn it into a car. There is evidence for that. All right, I appreciate it. And David, question was for you. So if you want to have the, the final uh, word there. Nope. Um, thank you, Standing, and thank you, Mr. Hovind. Uh, Mr. Hovind, I would really like to debate you again. Um, I hope you would agree to debate me on um, a different topic. Maybe we can topic, talk about some limiting factors on the age of the earth. Um, I also am interested in doing a debate on messianic prophecies um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I hope you would agree to debate me again. Are you, you, you really want to do that, David? You better go back and watch tonight's first, but my answer is yes, anytime, anytime, bring it on. Yeah, I would love to debate. I, I, I would okay. love to do, I love, I'll, I'll debate anyone on almost any topic. Whoa. All so right, well, uh, David, Kent, uh, you know, thank you both for an epic debate, tons of fun in the chat. We've got a great audience, very lively. As I pointed out, we've got about 10 hours worth of questions and we got to wrap it up somewhere. So logical, plausible, probable uh, puts a super chat on screen here. $2. He says after show is going down right after the debate. Uh, there's also an after show over on David Neff's channel. Uh, so we got an after show on an evolutionist channel and a creationist channel. So there you go. Should be fun. So why don't we, as we always do, end the show with some quick final words, final thoughts from the debaters. Again, thank you so much, uh, Kent and David, for giving us your time for tonight. David, over to you. Final thoughts, final words. Um, once again, thank you, Mr. Hovind. Thank you, Standing. And um, once again, we saw that Kent Hovind did his usual stuff. Um, and I hope that um, we can do another debate. And um, if you pay me, I would be very happy to come down to the Dinosaur Adventure Land. I mean, I know you and Steve, um, I know you um, pay Steve quite a bit of money, so I'm sure you guys can um, easily afford to pay me a couple of, couple of tens of thousands of dollars to come on down. 
So you, let me get this straight. You know we take in quite a bit of money. Yes, indeed. And um, okay. I know you, and I know. All right, guys, let's Can I just call this a personal attack? Can I just call this a personal attack? Can I say something? I think the university where you go takes in quite a bit of money from taxpayers, don't they? We're all forced to teach that stupid religion of evolution. Everybody has to pay real estate tax to pay for your university up there. They take in quite a bit of money. This is yep. all volunteers, all donations here. Nothing's forced on anybody. So my closing words would be, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and he's going to come judge it again one day, and he's pretty mad at you, David. Might want to get right with him, okay? Well, okay. I suppose um, I'll take my chances. All right. I appreciate the final words. We are going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much uh, for everybody in the chat for joining us. Solid chat and solid debate. So Kent, David, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you guys at the after show. Thanks for tuning in. Standing for Truth is out. Well, let's just say that the very weak attempted hangmakers at the very end in like the last, you know, four sentences that I've spoke, I've been talking about all the way at the very end. That was just like the embodiment of the course of the debate. <laughs> he was trying to he was trying to throw a haymaker to make up for the like beating he was taking from a rhetoric perspective uh, throughout the entire debate it was uh, it was pretty funny